Welcome to the EMCC UK podcast. In this episode, our host and director of coaching practice, Hannah Butler, talks to Dr. Louise Gilbert about emotion coaching. Louise Gilbert is co-author of Emotion Coaching with Young People in Schools, Promoting Positive Behaviour, Wellbeing and Resilience. She's an established leader and expert in the field and co-founder of Emotion Coaching UK, a not-for-profit organisation. Louise has a background in health and education and a doctorate in emotional coaching. During this discussion, Louise and Hannah discuss the observed developmental advantage afforded to children of families whose parenting style John Gottman labelled emotion coaching, as well as how this has been adapted to inform training programmes for school and community practitioners, parents and foster carers. Whilst not a therapy nor a panacea to solve all problems, emotion coaching in schools and community settings is an evidence-based, relational approach for supporting children and young people's well-being, behaviour and resilience. We hope you enjoyed this episode. A massive thanks goes out to all our listeners. And if you haven't already subscribed, please do so you never miss an episode. Hello, Louise. Um, Lovely to see you and welcome to the EMCC UK podcast. I'd like to start by asking you, what is emotion coaching? Well, you're asking me a very big question to be said in a very short time, but I am going to try and praise it all. Um, Emotion coaching is a way of working with others to support regulation. So it's a relational approach to try and help those who are experiencing strong and perhaps difficult emotions through co-regulation to help them actually calm and learn to manage emotions because it's something we all have and we all have to do it. And some of us are better than others, but we all can learn. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. I'm I'm curious to know a little bit more. So you say it's about um, learning how to self-regulate, but you also talk about a relationship as well. So it's a relational approach, and but it's about self-regulation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, it actually works with the fact that we're all social beings in a socially constructed world. And what's really interesting, we have lots of shared anatomy and physiology, yet we're all so different. And the question is why? Why are we so different? So our understanding is that we have evolved and keep evolving um, to manage and survive in the world we're in. However, there are certain mechanisms that were very effective, perhaps when society was far more primitive. So we are primed to survive through adapting behaviour and thinking. But understanding how the anatomy and physiology works with, uh, creates behaviour is complex. And through time, we've had different models, different explanations. Currently, Emotion coaching is informed by interpersonal neurobiology, and it's kind of what it says on the tin. It's about relationships and our biology. And if we think about the world we're in, we actually thrive being together. 
we prefer that. And in fact, we are sort of primed to need others, to want others. And currently, the thought is the most effective way we make decisions is actually when we're able to engage, when we're able to utilise other resources in other people with their facilities to support ourselves. And this kind of goes back to how do we all learn? And there's a lot of ways, the shared ways we learn. We know we learn through observation. We know we learn through repetition. We know we learn through role models and copying. All those things we assume are to do with academic things. But in fact, we learn how to manage ourselves and others and get our needs met in exactly the same way. But we don't have a formal curriculum for that. So emotion coaching, interestingly, is a naturally observed parenting style. It originates from John Gottman's work back in the 90s, where he was looking at parenting styles and he observed four different types and emotion coaching was one of them. And what he actually noticed about the children of parents who emotion coach was these were the children that seemed to do better at school. They seemed to have more friends. They seemed to be more resilient. Interestingly, less infections as well. And if we think about the package, that package, wouldn't we want every child to have that? But these were the lucky children who had this these natural emotion coaching parents. What John Gottman did was look at what they were doing and create a parenting programme. One of the things that Janet and I, Janet Rose, one of my co-founders, along with Lisette Gust, we thought was, First of all, wow, wouldn't it have been great to have been an emotion coaching parent, as we all do? And then we thought, how else can people, you know, more children get access to this real advantage, advantage both for school and for developing that sense of self? We were working at a university, working with teachers, working with early years practitioners. And we thought, well, how I wonder, can it be transferred into schools and community settings? Because we know those relationships matter. It can make a huge difference if you have someone in your school, in a community setting that actually notices you, that seems to care. And you have lots of very lovely stories about people who've had very difficult upbringings, but actually there was a relationship at school that made a difference, that gave them the motivation to perhaps go on and do something. Um, And bearing that in mind, we thought we would look at developing a training program for practitioners and that's what we did in 2011 and it was the first time emotion coaching was used in an educational community setting um, uh, application in the UK so that was kind of the uh, and one of the lovely things is John Gottman knows all about our work and has been so supportive as you would expect. (laughs) And the long and short of a very small project we did in 2011, because it's not easy to get that that pilot money, and it was deemed under the words resiliency, because that was the buzzword at that time, uh, was yes, we could train practitioners, and yes, there was benefit to the children. And the benefits were, we found really sort of kind of, wow, this is amazing. Um, The benefits were that the children were able to manage the ups and downs of life a bit better. They were able to settle to work and consequently 
being more settled and focused, they were able to concentrate on what they were doing. So more engaged, more that sense of community. But really fascinating was the practitioners themselves said that they found it helped them. It was another tool in their toolkit. So what they said, and I love this quote, and it was one of the practitioners said, using emotion coaching, I feel more in control, but less controlling. And that's really fascinating because the assumption is when we're working with others, we actually don't experience emotions ourselves. We don't get stressed. We don't struggle or feel threatened when, in fact, we all do. And it does, we now know from current research, it does affect how we think and how we behave. And we don't necessarily prioritize the most suitable or uh, sensible uh, response, we go for that very, fairly basic and primitive, I need to survive, I need to adapt. And what we've learned will inform how we respond when we feel threatened. And linking this, like with the interpersonal neurobiology, we know how the brains, we build brains. We build brains from living and learning and learning and living. And the more we experience something, the more we do certain behaviours, the more they become that neuronal networks becomes imprinted. It becomes our way of doing things. So you can immediately see that actually someone who has had an empathetic response, such as emotion coaching, someone that is being co-regulated, working with their physiology to calm down, to be able to start to re-engage and really use all, utilize all their brain rather than operating from that survival response is going to be able to learn more ways, more effective ways to get their needs met and problem solve. Um, I think one of the really fascinating things and why emotion coaching is so in the moment is the fact that education has has recognized well we've got our behaviorist approach i'll tell you what i want sanctions and rewards but it doesn't work it doesn't work for everyone if it did we'd have wonderful schools we wouldn't have children uh, in uh, uh, um excluded we wouldn't have them in uh, um, communities where they are not part of the school community we would all be living in a wonderful world so something's not right but looking at it, if we could actually acknowledge that the best decisions have an emotional component and that cognitive component, and it's about feeling seen, safe, soothed and secure, as Dan Siegel talks about, mm-hmm. that that optimises learning. It actually helps calm the situation down, remove the focus from a need to adapt and think to survive from the threat and start to engage with others and it's accumulative so the more you experience and you know we might say well how come you know you look around and there's some people that seem to be very good at coping with ups and downs of life they're able to um, manage appropriately and get on with things and other children uh, and some adults who will actually they they're threatened could be by a test it could be by an exam it could be by the way someone looked at them and they go into that stress and fight flight response and we know 
that the actual autonomic system, once that's been activated, you could hope as much as you like, certain things happen to the body to prepare for that survival. It doesn't mean it's the most effective and it doesn't mean that they're genuinely under threat. However, the more that happens, one of the amazing things about our brains is the plasticity, particularly for children. And that means what it kind of sounds like. It means that we learn all the time. Our neuronal networks are constantly firing, learning what's effective, how to do things. And that's why role models are so important. And for some children, the role models Actually, the, the the neuronal pathways that control and uh, inform their behavior and their thinking are all set for survival and they need to be aware, aware and they need to be alert and they need to do whatever they can to survive. And it could be that their toolkits of life, there's not much in there. And there are other children who have parents, such as emotion coaching parents, such as practitioners uh, and other adults that use that emotion coaching response, that actually through co-regulation, they are made to feel seen, safe, soothed and secure, triggering the calming response. And every time it's triggered, the strength of that pathway gets stronger and stronger. It's what we generally do when babies cry. You know, we pick them up and we calm them. Touch, safe touch is very important. And that child learns over time. That's what will happen. And that's how to behave. So we're building those brains. But for some children, and and one of the analogies I often give, I've never heard anyone give up on a child who can't struggles with reading or struggles with maths I've never heard anyone say do you know what you're never going to get long division don't bother with it but I know myself as a practitioner (laughs) I said oh no don't include her you know she won't be able to sit still and if she doesn't get what she wants she'll cause trouble however if we could view understanding emotions regulating emotions and problem solving in the same way we do about learning how to read and write and do maths, we would identify that for that child, what we need to do is be that role model, be that co-regulating to support their self-regulatory skills. Once they've got those, they're going to be able to optimise their learning. EMCC UK members can pair with a free mentor on our mentoring programme. Get support as you set up your new coaching business, benefit from the guidance of a more experienced coach, or simply gain more confidence in the areas you want to work on. Want to give back instead? All of our mentors in our programme are volunteers, and they find the experience of supporting the coaching community in this way hugely rewarding. Get involved by emailing mentoring at emccuk.org or by visiting the EMCC UK website and selecting the Mentoring Programme page. Louise, it's fascinating, and I've got so many questions that are like coming to my mind at this moment in time. I think the first place that it took me to was to think about, actually, we're talking about the children's learning as part of the role modelling um, but it also sounds as though the practitioners learn about themselves as well. So that idea that if I can if I can regulate 
because you know you and you and I both have experienced the classroom scenario and if I can regulate the way that I work in this situation in this context then the outcomes are going to be better for me so not even from an altruistic point of view but from a really self-preserving point of view if I'm working in quite a challenging environment how can I employ emotion coaching to enable me to be able to manage my emotions that will give um, a more appropriate response, a more considered response, and therefore leading to better outcomes. But actually then there's the interrelationship. I, I feel that is what you're saying is that the young person observes this as well and the young person can have this explained. Um, and so, like I say, it sounds to me as though there's not just this there's not just we're not talking about this being something that's been done to young people. It's very much with the young person and we're and it, learning together. Yeah, and it is the space between the two. So it's looking at the quality of that relationship. So it's that um, we know there are certain things that help to trigger to help us feel calm if we're with someone that we feel safe with. If we're with someone that makes, you know, we feel as listening. And often I say to people, think back to your school days that I'm sure there's what who made a difference to you in your school days or your young time. And very often people can remember the name of a teacher. They can remember what they liked. And what comes time and time again when we ask this question is they saw me. They listened to me. I didn't feel judged. I felt they took me seriously. They were seen, and very often, particularly for children in our society, we do, like you say, we do a lot to children with the best intentions, but that's what we're doing. Rather than seeing an individual and rather than looking at the behavior, which is a very behaviorist approach, a relational approach will say all behaviors are a form of communication. They may be a form that we don't appreciate or want. However, they're telling us something about how that child's feeling and particularly those extreme emotions. So as you rightly say, the role of the practitioner is so fundamental to delivering and using emotion coaching. And therein is a little bit of a problem because it's about emotional awareness. We all grow up with different reactions, responses and reasonings to emotions in ourselves and others. And John Gottman didn't just observe natural emotion coaching parents. He observed dismissing, disapproving and laissez-faire. We all use those forms of parenting at some stage. But if that's the only um, experience you have, then the sorts of messages you get about how you're feeling, what's driving your behavior and thinking is, I shouldn't be feeling like this because I've been told it's wrong. It means I'm a bad person because I feel angry. Well, it's perfectly ang normal to be angry if you don't get what you want. However, it's not perfectly normal to then go and grab it or slap someone for doing it. So it's, it's, it's actually appreciating these emotions are informing our behavior. And as an adult, we need to have an awareness. Now, my doctoral research looked at the practitioner's perspective, the practitioner's voice in emotion coaching training. And it reiterated our findings that practitioners not only feel more aware of emotions in themselves and others, but they feel more 
competent and professional in what they're doing because the awareness has actually developed an understanding that that child screaming, kicking and shouting, it isn't a personal attack, even though the immediate feeling might be. It's a sign of distress and that child is so distressed, they have lost that social engagement and are in that fight, flight, freeze, fall and flop mode. One or any, one or all or, or any. Okay, so what's really important for practitioners and, and our training is designed, it's evidence-based. By that we mean we've tried it out on practitioners and developed it and organised it in a way that supports the development of the practitioner. I call them golden geese. Your practitioner, if your practitioner is comfortable, is understanding of emotions, is able to use emotion coaching, they are the ones that lay those golden eggs for the children. And through informal and covert learning from interactions with them, they actually, the children pick up those tools for the toolkit. But my research identified that practitioners go on a journey. We talk about a journey. One of the things all the research identifies is practitioners are more aware of emotions after training and using emotion coaching than before. And that's really important. A lot of practitioners who work with children and adults, chances are they could be natural emotion coaches. Otherwise, they wouldn't enjoy it and they wouldn't be as effective as they are. But we very rarely get a chance to sit and contemplate, what's the process for the product? How do I do that? And emotion coaching gives that opportunity. So we talk about the neuroscience. We're very, uh, uh, you know, we really stress the critical awareness, awareness of neuromyths. We support practitioners to try and engage, to engage. We have lots of articles on the website to um, help Put put science in simple language because it's often written in a language that, you know, you've lost the will to live by the third sentence <laughs> uh, and it doesn't need to be like that. Um, so we've got things to, to explain, but actually having an understanding of how this brain works, how it matures and why is so different is really important to understanding the variety of responses and children we have we are working with or or adults and giving that um those the 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 the, our understanding as much as we know helps ground looking at emotions because for some people some adults it's very uncomfortable they have you know that disapproving they don't think emotions are important or fearful that if they mention emotions there's going to be an absolute tidal wave and and it'll be they won't be able to control anything so it's actually getting that confidence together to be able to explore our research identified that all practitioners will have raised emotional awareness not all will immediately become emotion coaches and the aim is not to create emotion coaching automatons the aim is to understand and work with the physiology and anatomy when a child is distressed and in need. And rather than sending a child out and saying, well, time out, go and sort yourself out. It's very much you wouldn't do that to a baby that was crying. And a child that is displaying behavior that's, you know, is informed by those very strong and uncomfortable emotions that are designed 
to make us change our behaviour and thinking, to get us out of that threat, need some support. What they don't need is time alone, because if they could, they wouldn't do that. (laughs) They wouldn't have chosen to do it. So it's about that role modelling and the awareness. And there is um, the often the work practitioners will say to you when they've looked at emotion coaching and we talk about you need to practice with an s to improve your practice with a c and how do how do we learn we learn through trial and error so yes you're going to get some moments when you think whoa that didn't go as expected one of the reasons we wrote the book is because practitioners were saying to us we get it we really like it but we want something that is for us because the book before we wrote our book the only book that was available was John Gottman's book on parenting so it's very geared whereas the role of working with children in a educational community capacity is different Uh, similar but different so with repeated requests and Covid (laughs) we actually grasped the moment and after 10 years, you know, we were starting in 2001, the book came out in 2021, with all the stories practitioners had given to us, all our understanding of the training, we created the book. And the book follows the training. So it's a bit like a handbook. Um, there are certain things that we put in because, you know, for example, I really like a glossary because I try to remember words, I have a little bit of malapropism, so sometimes I get the words muddled, so I like to have a reference point. We wanted it to follow the training so that people could dip in, you know, what was that about neuroception? You know, what was that, what was that term? And lots of examples from primary, from secondary, special schools, adults, young children, old children, parents, to actually say, this is what it looks like in practice, you know, and it's a journey. So what I've, what I've, what I've kind of gained from that is is that that while um Gottman and the work was around parents that this is now taking what Gottman had found around the parent and how we can develop and support parents we can also support practitioners and to develop them I think that I think for me the something that's kind of coming through that you know is the system that surrounds young people as well um and that sometimes they you know that that their behavior can be as a result of 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 a wider system that might not be um solely about that that relational piece as well but what i'm sensing is is that gaining knowledge and understanding about the way that your body works and about the way that you can work with your body to get the best in terms of the relational piece, that that can enhance the system around them as well. And also that if if we've got all, you know, if we've got all 18 members of staff in our in our secondary school trained, or we've got, you know, the 30 in the in the primary, then the, the whole of the system is supporting um, rather than it being one isolated practitioner or one parent or so we've actually got this uh, an approach that wraps around the child. It's very much like that. And our research identifies whole school approaches. It's a bit like thinking back to that teacher I said who made a difference at school. Imagine if there wasn't just one, everyone was like that. 
children like consistency. They learn through repetition. Repetition is what sort of helps develop their habits. So if we're looking to support them to understand others, understand emotions themselves and others, they need empathetic responses. And it's that empathy, that ability to put yourself in that child's shoes. And that can be hard for some adults. You know, a child coming to you because they've got a scribble on their book or because they've fallen over in the playground and someone laughed at them. We might say, well, this has got nothing. You don't know what the world's like. You know, this is, it's nothing. But actually for that child in that moment, their stress response has been triggered and they need help to calm and soothe. And it's through that repetition, through that consistency that children develop. And we have some amazing stories and practitioners um, around the country and internationally who have worked with some, been privileged enough to work with some children with extreme difficulties uh, and seen results. I mean, one of the things I do need to say is this is not the answer to everything, a panacea, other, you know, this is not that. This is not a therapy. And this is not instead of specific interventions. It's a, a it, it's not dismissing or disapproving of emotions either. It accepts all emotions uh, are acceptable, but not all behaviours. And the actual four steps. John Gottman had five steps in emotion coaching. We create. We originally did three, but from research, we've made it into four. The four steps actually are designed to help connect with the child, to calm them down, to actually teach. You know. Because we live in a rule-driven world and then problem-solving, the real key word is with the child so that that child next time maybe has can look in the toolbox and look for something else. So we're talking about teaching in the moment. We're talking about accepting those different emotions and accepting emotions as normal and not something we can we can always control. It's seeing those emotional moments as opportunities for teaching rather than reprimanding or um, uh, ignoring. And it's about giving strategies and building those trusting relationships because they need to know. But until a child is calm, you know, people often say, how many times do I have to tell you this? Well, if a child is in a distressed state, and we do use the hand model purely to help children evidence what's going on. We find the hand model to say your lid's flipped, you can't access your thinking brain and it's all coming from that fight and flight is a really helpful for young children to think it's not them. And I can give you a really nice little example of a little boy who struggled with his temper. Uh, he was used to getting his own way. He found school very challenging, lots of rules and had to do it. And they talked a lot to him. He was finding it difficult. As a result, he was finding it difficult to make friends and settle. So the whole experience was not only distressing him, but the school, the, the, the class wasn't settling. And they talked about um, the hand model and they talked about what happens when we lose our temper and how our thinking brain goes offline and our emotional brain takes over. But it hasn't got as much um, as many you know, um, uh, ways of thinking and, and clever behaviours to sort things out. It's very restricted to the fight, flight and freeze. 
and that what he could do to calm down and understand. And this child had spent his whole time thinking he was bad, he was wrong, he was never going to make any friends. And they also worked giving him tools for his toolkits. One of the tools was learning about breathing, breathing butterfly. And I know we don't have time for, for me to go through that. <laughs> it's a way of helping a child, not only triggers the vagus, but it helps a child focus and distracts. And you can show some working. He had a little butterfly to help him calm down. And he had it as a little picture. And he ran in one day and said to the teacher, I did it, I did it, I did it. I used my butterfly and I didn't lose my temper. Now, that's quite eloquent for a young child to understand what was going on in their body and actually be able to do something about it and think how empowering that must have been rather than being the child that yet again has lost the temper and everyone's he's in trouble. So it it. It, it's a nice, I've got, we've got lots of examples, lots of examples in the book. Um, so, uh, but, but, you know, it, it does take time and it's a journey and it isn't immediate with all children. And one of the things I would say to you is that when you look at practitioners who are maybe looking to do emotion coaching, the model of engagement recognises you need to look at each stage and the stages are, you know, emotional awareness and it could be that the staff need more work on emotional awareness before they can accept the premise emotions matter to learning so you need to you know the model that was identified from the research is now used as a planning tool to help schools both monitor and evaluate and move on Thank you so much, Louise, for everything that you've you've talked about already. You know, I can I've got to feel like I've from our conversation today, I've got a really clear understanding of emotion coaching. I can absolutely um see why it's important and how it might be used effectively in every day. Um I think one of the things for me is I'm thinking about this from um, coaching adults now as well. And yes. in actual fact, I've read the book, as you know, um, <laughs> and I can see how it's how I'm able to use it as well um, to support people to understand what might be happening for them. Um, and, you know, from a conversation point of view. Um, so I think one of the things that um, that has been apparent is that, you know, there's quite an emphasis on parent and parental development and then we've moved over to practitioners and practitioners development and then we kind of wrapped the system around it and said we recognize that it's not solely the responsibility of the of the parent as being the whole risk you know not just the risk factor the reason um for behavior um and same for the practitioner as well but if we can actually work with the parents practitioners and the system that surrounds the child in a more emotionally astute way was that would that be a, I, a reasonable I, word and and you know how you say it it's like a systems approach isn't it it's we're all mm. contributing and it's it's going two ways and one of the things that's really lovely for us is we've been working now for 12 years with schools the schools are now saying 
we would like our parents to have this. I feel like I should hold a Lion King, a little Lion King, <laughs> the circle of life, because obviously it began with the parents. But what's really fascinating, we've just completed a project with eight schools in Gloucestershire who um, were looking for inclusion, community inclusion, working with their parents. And part of that project was we designed a small course that the practitioners, their EC lead in each each school, which we highly recommend to keep that sustaining emotion coaching and that journey going, um, delivers to the parents. So if we're talking about wrapping around the child, that's that view again what actually come from it you know anecdotally because I haven't properly analyzed the data yet um is the fact the parents feel more connected to the schools more able to approach the adults more understanding of what's happening with the child and more effective parents and you know to hear a parent say that and I you know myself having been a parent it's a tough job and there's an awful lot that you feel you get wrong but to actually have an opportunity to think yeah that really helped so emotion coaching is is developing it's not a fixed you know I I long when I'm pushing up the daisies will it be coming up in a different form and I think that's the beauty of it because the beauty of it it's enhanced interpersonal communication so working with that physiology supporting that person and as you say very very effective and a lot of practitioners use emotion coaching with their colleagues so in professional development but also with parents because parents are distressed can be distressed so it 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 is once you understand the fundamentals of what's happening when our lids flip and what we can do about putting it back on and the importance of integrating, having an integrated brain working and the importance of those social connections and attunement and those safe, seen safe, soothed and secure relationships, then that's where we're going to be able to optimise everyone's learning and mental health and well-being, I think. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Louise. Um, I think you've summarised it all unbelievably well there. And I think something that's going to stay with me for for a while um, will be that that idea of, of inclusion as well. When you said um, during our conversation today, you talked about, you know, we wouldn't exclude a child if they were challenged with writing. We wouldn't exclude a child if they were challenged with maths what are we really doing when we look at behaviour? And so, and, and observing those as skills that we can develop and we can support people to develop as well. Um, so, yeah, so that, that'll stay with me for a little bit. So, oh, so thank you. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been lovely chatting. And as you can see, I can be very garrulous and I could go on and on and on. So, um, you know, if, if, if anyone wants to hear any more, they just need to go to the website and see what's available on there for them. Find out a bit more or read the book, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much, Louise, for joining us today. I'm going to thank our listeners as well for listening in yeah. um, and look forward to well meeting you again and chatting again in the I future. Thank you, Hannah. We've got so much complimentary that goes together and all, all, we're all trying to do the best thing, aren't we? We're all trying to improve everyone's uh, equity to health and well-being. So um, thank you so much and for all the work you do. Really appreciate it. We're all together. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the EMCC UK. 
Together, our aim is to promote good practice and the expectation of good practice in coaching, mentoring and supervision. To learn more about the EMCC UK and to find out about membership, accreditation, events, CPD opportunities and learning resources, visit emccuk.org. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a future episode.